guys. Thanks for listening again. This is the Bow Rush Podcast, episode 003. My name is Travis Stowe. Uh, my co-host is Scott Nelson. How you doing, Scott? Hey, not too bad. How you doing, Travis? Man, I am excited, excited, excited. You know why? I can only imagine. I'm, I'm guessing it's because we have a great guest on this next edition of the Bow Rush Podcast. That's true. But on top of that, it's archery season. September 13th, Georgia. I, I think I only slept maybe an hour or two because I was so excited when I finally got into the woods, finally getting in there, realizing that deer season is here. And man, it's, uh, I'm, I can't wait. I mean, this is going to be a good season. I think because of the weather we've had this year, I think it's going to be a really plentiful season for all of us. And I'm telling you, so we just opened up this last weekend. There's places all over the U.S., you know, a lot of stuff out west has been open for, you know, a week or two weeks. But there's nothing that is as exciting as, as waking up and knowing that you're getting to get out in the woods and you're getting to put all of your preparation in the off season to work. And, I couldn't even sleep. Oh, I'm, I'm telling you, you know, unfortunately I got stuck, uh, doing some overtime and working, you know, Saturday and Sunday and Monday, but my phone was blowing up between you, uh, our buddy, Brandon, Anthony, you know, out in Utah and, and a few other guys out that way. And I'm excited for every single guy that, that got the chance to get out there. You know, hopefully I start getting a lot more pictures of those big bucks down, you know? Well, yeah, what's interesting is that well, our topic today so happens to be the continuance of the first segment, which was hunting public land in the West. Well, we're in the East, and so my opening day happened to be on public land, a WMA up into the North Georgia mountains. And I literally, I felt like I could not sleep. I think I had about two hours of, uh, I would almost consider sleep. And when I got up, I got everything ready. I drove out to the area. I, I started seeing some deer movement. In fact, I think I saw a huge buck literally just cornering off the side of the road as I'm coming in. So that excited me even more. That right there was in a perfect moment for me, I think, to start off my season in archery. Yeah, you know, from, from everything that, you know, I've been hearing and people calling and talking to me and, and asking kind of what's going on with, with the, some of the areas that I hunt, Everyone's talking about how a lot of the velvets already dropped. Um, acorns are just about at that point where they're already about to drop. And, and acorns are a huge factor. You know, that's something we're going to dive into a little bit with the guests that we have on is how important acorns are as a food source. Uh, who are we having again? Monty Perrin from howtohunt.com. And, and that's two, the number in the middle there. We brought him on intentionally to talk a little bit about you know, hunting public land, you know, how to approach it, how to find it um, and, and how to be successful while hunting it. It The biggest point and to give you a little bit of a uh, uh, an insight to what he's going to talk about, the biggest point he makes is when you hunt public land, it's all about your attitude. I, I can't wait. Let's uh, let's get him on. Absolutely. Hey, Monty, how you doing today, bud? I'm doing well. Hope you are. It's, it's so exciting to be able to actually talk to you because you are a wealth of knowledge, my friend. Well, I'm flattered. Thank you very much. That's awesome. So you're uh, you're local. Where where are you at? I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. Oh, okay, okay. But I used to travel to uh, to Hartwell because, uh, and I specifically went to Hartwell Dam because it's archery only, and I wanted to get in the woods early. And their season started about mm, about two to three weeks before ours did. Mm-hmm. So I would go down there and hunt on the dam. And uh, I, the reason I went to the archery land is because 
I used I bumped into one or two people every now and then, but it was never a problem. I, there was plenty of opportunity and plenty of room. Oh man! So well, are you are you in Georgia now, Scott? Yes, sir. I am. I just uh, I got here what, right at uh, right at about five weeks ago. Wow! And so yeah. you're in the same in the same in Gwinnett County, like Travis? Uh, I'm not. I'm actually uh, I'm actually down in Cobb County right now. So I'm, but I'm that's all still that's still Atlanta suburbs, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm um I'm probably about an hour hour and twenty away from where Travis is at. Okay. When you what? you you guide on the Chattahoochee, do you hear, do you do any guiding in April and May? Uh, guide year round. Um, do you, do you hear turkeys on that river in uh, April? It it depends on where we're at. Uh, a lot of the majority of what I do is from uh, Lanier from from Buford Dam. Uh, down mm-hmm. to just right inside of Atlanta, so uh, that's that's what my thing is right now. Is I'm 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 going to be knocking doors trying to find some turkey property. Well, I'm going to tell you something. If there's there's plenty of opportunity on. Uh, I was telling uh, Travis earlier. Uh, I have I I have had access to lots of land in the past, and I don't now. By design, to be honest with you, and I I did all my turkey hunting this spring with a canoe on Car Lake, which is a core lake. I was covering birds every day, and I never saw a hunter. I take that back. I saw one opening day, and he was on one side of the bridge, and I went to the other. <laughs> <laughs> that That's your half. This is my half. Go. Yeah, there you go. No, that's yep. funny, because when me and Travis, we first started hunting together, we had a property that was up kind of kind of North Georgia ish, Franklin County. Uh, yeah, Franklin, and mm-hmm. there was a uh, the defining point of, of our of the property was a river was like a creek that ran through, and we had always talked about you know get, getting canoe and and floating in because where we felt the deer were really bedding down and traveling was mm-hmm. deep into the property towards the river, and by the time we hiked in. We felt like we were probably walking through, or at least spooking, uh, and deer getting down to that mm-hmm. point. So we always wanted to get a canoe, start a couple miles up at the bridge, and, and float in and, 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 and sneak in from behind. Uh, that's, that's a good plan. I do a lot of that here. And I use a, I got a little 14-foot John boat with a 15-horse engine that I've never wet a hook out of. All I've ever done is, is hunt out of it. I turkey hunt and I deer hunt out of it. And I, I don't see hunters. I don't and because I'm coming in. Now, listen, I'm not the first to ever talk about or do what I'm talking about doing. But here's the thing. Here's what the filter is. It's work. you got to hook a boat up. you got to get it in the water. you got to go to your spot. you got to tie it off. you got to carry all your stuff. you got to get up in the tree. you got to come back, find your boat. It, it filters out a lot of people, okay, because of the effort it takes. You know, I'm not saying I'm the only one doing that, but I honestly have been doing that since the mid nineties and I bumped into one hunter one. And you know what I did? I backed out, got my boat, went to another spot because I knew, I I knew the likelihood of me running into two hunters. I'd been doing it five years by this time. And that was the first hunter I ever run into. I knew the likelihood of doing it again wasn't going to happen that day. So I just went somewhere else. And because of the effort that I make, I'd rather hunt there than anywhere i've ever had and i've had some pre- i've had some places people would have been real excited to be part of well you know that kind of leads into you know what this segment of the podcast is about you know initially last week we had a guy on from from out west from out in colorado that was very knowledgeable about public land out there and the regulations and the rules and and really how to approach western and and midwestern public land 
You know, mm-hmm. the South, it's completely different. It's different terrain, different rules. It, the deer themselves, the, the deer, the turkey, the bear, you know, different habitats, different habits. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, in from from your experience, what's the best way to approach public land? Like, how do you find public land? How do you decide where you want to hunt? And, and where do you go from there? Well, uh if if you went back and I've I've actually written several articles and one of the publishers I used to write some articles for I would write him an article and I could tell he probably wasn't too excited about it because it was more about attitude than technique. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, I think you only got control of two things: that's your attitude and your actions. And the first thing you got to do to have a good chance to enjoy hunting on public land is to decide that you are going to enjoy hunting on public land. And if you do that, then it opens up a whole world of opportunity. See, I, I, I've, as I said before, I've, I've had access to a lot of different farms and private land, and I did a lot of work. It wasn't free because I would do nice things for those people, and I loved them. It was easy to do. It, 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 was, it was expensive because it took a lot of time. Sometimes it would take some some finances sometimes it was so i spent a lot of time effort and money courting those people to have access to those farms mm-hmm. and then i joined several hunting clubs and i I've, I've been in some that i was really excited about some i was less excited but i will tell you there was a common denominator in every hunting club i ever i, I was ever in there was always somebody in that club that i'd rather not be hunting with Okay, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, call, I'm just gonna call a spade a spade. Okay, now right. I never caused a problem. I can go back to any one I've ever been in, but I just chose to remove myself from those circumstances. Well, one of the beautiful things about public land is that if you're creative and you approach it with the right attitude and you're willing to do something to separate yourself from most of the other people. You it, you can have a whole lot of it, at least where I live and where I've hunted. And I've hunted in several states. You can you can separate yourself from a lot of people just by the extra effort that you're willing to take, mm-hmm. and you know I live in an area where we have we, they call them game lands here, same as the WMA. We have game lands with food plots, and you know some of our duck impoundments that they don't flood till November are just full of food. I mean wow. it's it's you know what I'm saying yeah. so it's just a it's a hunter's paradise if you understand what I'm saying, but. And some of it is in areas that you can't, it's, it's archery-only land, So, which really is exciting to me. They're going to flood it and let people duck hunt it, but you can't hunt deer with anything but a bow. That's pretty cool. So if you look for those special circumstances and decide that, all right, I'm going to do more, I'm going to be willing to do what others are not willing to do to separate myself from those folks so that I can have a place that I'm really excited about hunting, I'm telling you, they're out there. You know, and there's not just a few of them. Go ahead. That that kind of brings up a, a subject is that you're saying that you're going into areas that a lot of people, maybe you won't see them because you're going and finding these spots, but sometimes you do. You end up walking onto somebody, and I've had this happen a couple of times. And what some of the things that you would, I mean, do you feel like it's still comfortable? If you know you want to be in a particular spot, though you walk on someone, they're right in their stand. Do you still proceed through and go to the area you want, or do you back off? Even though you're not necessarily going to hunt near them, you're going way past, but you have to pass through their area, their terrain that they've already picked out. Do you feel it's comfortable enough to, hey, I'll still keep going through. I'll find my spot I was originally uh, picked out. You know, should you have a, uh, a secondary or a thirdary uh, backup plan? Well, I always have a plan B, but... What you just described to me, I think, 
was a situation where maybe somebody was already in a stand. Right. They got there before you. They were up earlier. And as you're going yeah. in, I mean, that's that's happened to me a couple of times. And I've always had that moment of like, uh-oh, should I keep going? Because I felt bad. I felt you know, most likely I could have spooked the deer that they, if there was one around. Um, and I didn't know what to do. I backed off a little bit. But then I kind of set because I didn't plan ahead. And I was for good almost 20 minutes, I was twirling my thumbs, almost thinking, where am I going to go? I have no idea. And yeah. then I finally just kind of walked back to my truck and picked somewhere. But uh, I felt pretty bad for that day and also felt bad for the guy. I just didn't know if, like, should I just kept going on to the area I knew I wanted to be in? Or should I, you know, was it good that I backed off and, you know, what was my mistake? Well, if I was going to, as far as what you did that day, I don't think you did anything wrong. So you shouldn't feel bad. You didn't go in there to intentionally disturb anybody's stand or hunt you just happened it just happened that way and it sounds to me like you're really gracious so you should feel good about that okay now if the person was in a stand if i'm hunting a spot i know that spot well enough to know where the deer are likely to be bedding so i would probably try to if i wanted to get to a spot beyond him i would probably take a different route and just give him a wide enough berth and stake I'd stay close to that bedding area if it was uh, if it was in the morning, because I would expect the deer to be out maybe feeding and going to come to that bedding area lately. Or I'd stay uh, away from the bedding area and go on to my spot. You know, I'd, I'd have it marked with a GPS so I could get in there in an alternative way and not disturb him. Now, if you were both on the ground, say you're in a parking place and this guy shows up, then years ago I was turkey hunting and we and, and one of the places that I that I turkey hunt around here is a draw hunt and you can only hunt for three days. And it was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday hunt, last week of the season. And I went Thursday morning, early in the morning. I literally was thirty five miles from my house with my turkey gear on my back, walking away from my truck at four thirty five and somebody pulled into the parking lot. Well, I'm obviously there first, so I just wanted to talk to him, tell him what was up, tell him where he was headed. He pulls up, and I said, said, hey, how you doing? And uh, we visited for a minute. I said, well, I'm going down this the path here, and when I get to the power line, I'm going to go on past it and get in that first food plot on the right. And he said, that's where I was going. And I didn't crack a smile. Now, it's dark. He can't see me too good. I can't see him. But he says, that's where I was going. I literally didn't crack a smile. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll arm wrestle you for it. <laughs> it's a duel. So, he was so pitiful. He said, "Really?" <laughs> I said, "No." I said, "I'll tell you what." I said, "Are you hunting tomorrow?" It was Thursday. He said, "No, I'm going to the beach." I said, "You go ahead and hunt it then. I'll go somewhere else because I've, like I said, I've always got a plan B." And I went to the second spot and killed a turkey. Well. The following Saturday, I was in the same situation, literally 435 at the same spot, walking away from my truck, and somebody else pulls in. Same thing. I talked to him a minute, told him where I was heading. He said, I got one roosted in there. I looked at him. I said, mister, I said, obviously, I was here first. I said, I promise you, I won't shoot you. Don't shoot me. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and, and I went on, and, and I killed a turkey that day, too. Okay? So, so you know those are just one of them situations where that was one of them spots that I knew there was birds and everybody else and their brother did too. And I knew you had to be there early and I was gracious the first time, but it was the last day of the season on the second time. And I decided I was going to go get it. In the sense of, let's say you happen to be the first one there and in Turkey or as well as your deer and you're in the stand, you've climbed up, you're already prepared and someone did come through hypothetically, let's say they made some noise and you're pretty sure that that uh, was loud enough. Anyone in a neighbor could see and hear. 
is that something that you might think, well, my day's pretty much shot, you know, time to get down, just recoup, go somewhere else or come back this afternoon or should you stick it out? You know? I think you should stick it out and I think you should decide that it's okay. And the reason I say decide that it's okay, because if you don't decide, decide that it's okay, you're going to sit there the whole time and be miserable. But I'm telling you, it probably has less impact than you think it does. How many times have you heard tell stories about people shooting a deer and then not too long after that shooting another one with a gun? That happened to me. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. So, you know, it's hunting and everything is, uh, you know, everything works out, you know, the way it's going to work out. And so, in my opinion, you should just say, okay, the guy just walked through here and I'm just going to have a good hunt anyway. A whole lot of this is about attitude. I was hunting with, do you guys who know who Mike McKenzie is? Um, McKenzie. Well, he's just, Mike McKenzie was a real tree cameraman, and he's deceased now. He died like two or three oh. falls ago. He fell out of a tree stand. Mm -hmm. You know who I'm talking Something about now? Something's starting to read about. Absolutely. Yes, yes okay. absolutely. Uh, in 2000, I had bought a camera support arm from Mike McKenzie, and Mike McKenzie was building every major TV show and video production company in the hunting business was using his, most of them were using his tree supports then, tree uh, camera supports. And I called him and told him I wanted to video my own hunts and I wanted to do a good enough job that you couldn't tell I was the only one there. And he said, you can't do it, but I'll sell you an arm. And so I bought one and I, and I did it. I felt like I did it and I was pleased with what I did. And I called him back and told him that I had gotten it done and that I would probably see him at the Dixie Deer Classic and I'd stop by and show him some of my footage. Well, I showed up at the show, and he was so busy on Friday when I showed up, and he looked like he didn't know me. And we'd had several conversations, and he acted like he didn't even know me. And I looked at him, and I said, well, you were so nice on the phone. <laughs> 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 and, and, and he laughed. He said, come back later when I ain't so busy. So I came back, and we talked for a long time. Well, he ended up hunting with me in Florida, and I had two special opportunity public land hunting permits that I had gotten. I was trying to get the Grand Slam, and that's the way I was going to do get the Osceola. And I, those those tags were transferable, and I had I had three actually, one for one place and two for the same place. And I asked him if he wanted to go, and he said yes. So we went turkey hunting and uh, down in Florida, and we spent all day the day before the hunt, and and I I saw one track. I thought, and we didn't hear anything, we didn't see anything, I didn't see no dusting bowls, I didn't see much sign. And you couldn't tell what scratching was. There's so many armadillos, you couldn't tell whether it was armadillos or turkeys. So I thought, man, I don't know if I've got a pig in a poke here or not. But I did go out the evening before the hunt and heard a turkey gobble. So we were pretty excited we had one roosted. It's a 45-minute walk to hoof back in there where we were. And as we got there, I'm telling you, somebody literally knocked that bird off the limb. See, Florida, Florida, bird, Florida hunters used to be able to legally shoot them off the limb. So they developed some pretty good knock-em-off-the-limb skills. They really did. And when they made it illegal, they didn't want to give that up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this particular person had snuck in there, and he killed our bird, the one that we were excited about. So literally, we're standing there. We just heard the shotgun shot, and a vehicle pulls up. Now, a vehicle pulls up. It, we walked 45 minutes to get where we're at, and here comes a vehicle. And I'm thinking, how did he get in here? So it was a wildlife officer, and he got out of his truck and said, where was that shot? And we pointed the direction, and off he went. Well, Mike looked at me, and now we we hadn't heard any other birds. And Mike said, well, what are we going to do now? I said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I said, I'm going to walk down this road right here, 
and I'm going to walk and call, and I'm going to pretend this is the best place on the planet that I've ever turkey hunted, and I'm going to see if I can't get a hookup on a bird. We didn't go 200 yards, and less than an hour later, we had a, a dead bird on the ground. What we did there was we controlled our what we could control, and it worked out. Now, the, me and Mike killed three birds. There was nine birds, 54 hunters that got drawn killed nine birds, and Mike and I killed three of them. And you'll enjoy that, but you won't enjoy sitting there doubting whether it's going to be any good or not. Stop worrying about the kill and enjoying this, the moment. Yeah. Or, or, or take the go somewhere else for the opportunity to kill. If you don't believe that that stand can produce right now, I've killed a whole bunch of deer where I went to, and most of it was on private ground where somebody came in and boogered up my spot and I just went somewhere else. I hope uh, Scott doesn't mind me saying this, but this is when him and I originally were rifle hunting and we happened to go on. I had a, a double stand. It was a, I believe it was called a big brother. And um, every time I was hunting, he'd have a different spot and I would I'd always sit on this area and I'd get a deer. So I said, you know what? Let's both sit in this stand. And we did. Well, as we're climbing up, he was climbing up first, um, handed his rifle in as I'm really trying to get in and sit down. And he fired the gun <laughs> and it was pitch black. <laughs> this loud noise echoed all the way down. I sit down. I was like, well, that ended our day because <laughs> I thought, honestly, it's ruined. <laughs> yeah. And, and and now you know why I bow hunt. That was probably our maybe seventh or eighth time hunting together. And that is the point when I loved the outdoors and, and I grew up in the outdoors and fishing and, and camping and hiking and never got a chance to really have firearms or, or, or I never really grew up around them. I was clueless. I didn't know what to do. It was I. I, I felt I felt so so bad because every time you know we we had solid chances at deer, and at that I felt like I ruined the hunt. So it it kind of does go back. And and this is one thing that I, I really have learned um, since you know the time I was nineteen and and I met Travis. It's if you focus on the hunt and the opportunity that you have to just be outside in a tree stand or you know walking and stalking like you do out west just uh-huh. enjoy the time you're out there and whether you're quote-unquote successful and and have a deer on the ground or an elk on the ground or a turkey on the ground you've enjoyed the day and i mean what, what's better than than getting outside and, and actually enjoying it so yeah it, it's uh, definitely the attitude thing that you talk about 100 yep. percent believer yeah absolutely I, w- I walked to a tree stand behind my house i live in a an urban area, but there's a good bit of undeveloped land behind my house, and I have access to just a few acres right here around the house. And I went back. Oh, this is shoot 20 years ago, and I went back there, and I literally had a, I did have a stand hanging back, and I went in and climbed up in my stand and pulled my bow up, hung everything up, and as soon as I do that, I usually just, I, I, I want to get settled so so badly when I get in the woods. As soon as I get settled, I'll usually just stop and just 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 chill for a second. Let the woods get quiet because I feel like I've been. Everything seems so loud when you're getting set up to me, okay? And I, I, I did not have a narrow knocked. I did not have my my uh, uh, release on. And I looked to my right, and there's a deer three steps from me. A deer that I would have shot, and I don't have my release on. I said, well, maybe I can shoot with the fingers. I said, well, I haven't practiced that. I'm, I'm having this conversation in my mind. <laughs> I said, well, I haven't practiced that. I better not try that. So I said, I know what. I'll just, I'm going to snip, slip my finger through this Velcro and just see if I can get it to come apart without making too much noise. And as I'm doing that, he's kind of reacting a little bit, but he never looks up. And 
I'm sitting there thinking, am I going to get this deer? I'm going. I'm having this conversation. I'm praying, am I going to get this deer? Am I going to get this deer? And finally, I said, you know, I don't care if I do or not. It is really cool just being this close to him. You know, I ended up getting the deer, but it it really didn't matter because it was just so much fun being that close to a deer. It wasn't something I'd done that much at that time. You said, uh, how old are you? 57. 57. And still today, you still get the, the, the shakes when deer come around? Any kind of game coming around? I never have gotten the shakes when deer come around, okay? Okay. But I've, all, but I've always gotten, don't take this wrong, I'm, I've always been, and let me tell you, I've learned because I used to try to video people. I've learned that when you hear people saying, nah, I missed a deer because of this or that happened, truth is they probably choked because they were so excited. And that's good. I'm glad they enjoyed it, okay? Well, I've always been able to enjoy it and still keep my nerves together till after the deer was down. You know, I, I mean, and, and I, I, I love being, I love being close to deer to this day, just like I did the very first time I did it. But I've always been able to keep it together till after and do what I need to do. And then I could get, then I got even more excited. This Saturday, I obviously it was opening season for Georgia. I guess it was opening season for you. Is that correct? It, it was. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I was happy. I, I walked in, I was in the Cooper's Creek area, uh, set up. And sure enough, around 7.15 in the morning, about 75 yards away, I happened to look up more towards my 11 o'clock. I could only see the legs slowly start walking in. I knew for a fact what it was, and my heart started pumping. And I don't know if it's necessarily considered the shakes, but I, I definitely felt more nervous. I was excited. I was a little nervous. I was like, okay, where's all my stuff? And I was starting to play scenarios in my head on, like, if it happens to come my way, should I maybe I do some sort of call? I mean, I was going through so many different things. It happened to just go the opposite direction, but still, that one moment of just seeing them come towards me, I was immediately excited. And I, I felt which I would consider is kind of like the shakes. But, uh, Every time a deer have come towards me and I have taken a shot, I think I'm in the same boat where you. I become almost cold steel. I don't have any movement. I can pull back to full draw and just sit and wait for the right moment. And I don't feel like there's any kind of shaking or I don't feel like my heart beating is messing up my positioning. Um, but beforehand, I do feel like I get those types of shakes. Uh, I used to get excited like that. I really did. I still do get excited, okay? But when, when I, early on, when I would get, the, the first deer I ever took a shot at with a bow, I was so excited, I forgot. I, I, it was like I went goofy. I, 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 did everything but, I did everything but aim, okay? So, so in the, the arrow went over its head about eight feet. And, and, but I was so excited, you know, just to be that close to a deer. And so I had to learn to, to so I guess I'm, 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 I'm remembering as you talk here some of the things that I went through to get me through that. And I had this conversation with a friend of mine right along that time frame, and, and I learned to, to, in my mind, when I would see a deer, I'd learned, I'd learned to say, there's a deer, so what? And I would literally say that in my brain for the first five deer I killed with a bug. There's a deer, so what? But I'm still, I'm still loving it, still enjoying it, and I'm just able to perform, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, so... Going back to talking about some of the videos that you've done in the past, um, the one that I just recently watched, let me pull it up real quick. Yeah, that is, just make sure I get the name right here, Deer Hunting, Seven Sure Steps. Uh-huh. It, it's, a, it's a great video, it really is, and I, and I think it, it pertains a lot to kind of what this topic is about that we, we've started. Um, 
Now, you don't have to go through and, and go through the full seven steps and, and all of the great information you kind of went into on that video, but what are, what are some keys? I mean, obviously, you talk a lot about you know, finding the bedding area, start, starting at that, that point, right. finding the bedding area. And the then, first, yeah, talk, yeah, talk from there again. First thing I do is I, is I use Google Earth, and I make that point in the video because Google Earth will actually save you a lot of steps. I meant it in the video where I said a friend and I were talking about he was a helicopter pilot. We were thinking about rent, renting a helicopter for us to get a bird's eye view. This was back in the early 90s now. It wasn't a Google Earth, and topical graphical maps weren't easy to get, and they weren't cheap either. And So uh, <clears throat> Google Earth will really, I mean, I, every, every, every place I've hunted the last five years, I've pulled up on Google Earth, and I've gotten really intimate with it in a short period of time. I've learned how to find the thick stuff. You know, I think deer, deer, what my, my system is what I call habitat-based. I think deer, gonna, they're going to use the, the thickest habitat available to them. And around here, we've got a lot of cutover. We've got a lot of managed land where people are burning and that type of thing on this public ground. It's really, really well managed. So they're creating the right kind of habitats. And if you learn what to look for on Google Earth and you find that, that bedding habitat, that for me is where I start. Once I find that bedding habitat, then it's a matter of spending time on the edge of that bedding habitat till I start seeing some trails, start finding some acorns, start finding. I really want if I can find some white oaks and or some southern chestnut oaks. Uh, I haven't hunted any public ground here yet. Haven't hunted much yet because our our acorns aren't really on the ground yet. And I know that, you know, I this is a busy time for my business too. So I'm gonna spend my time more wisely, but. About ten days from now, we're going to have some acorns on the ground, and I'm I'm going to be hitting some of these spots that, you know, that I've hunted in the past. But I'm always adjusting. I always react to what I see. So, the first thing I want to do is I'm going to find that thick thickest habitat. The stuff. Listen, most young hunters, novice hunters, the the, the reason they have a hard time learning how to bow hunt or, or getting into bow hunting because they want to see a long ways. And the reason they want it, I, and I, I, I can speak about this intimately because that was me. The reason I want to see a long ways is because I, if the farther I can see, the more opportunity I'm going to have. Well, if you learn to fine tune some things and start thinking like a, in a 20 yard per, periphery, I, I've killed a whole lot of deer with my bow, but only one of them has been over 20 yards. And and that may sound bragging. It's not bragging, okay? It's a fact, all right? I've shot one deer from a power line that was 30 yards away, and one deer came out and turned, and I, I actually had put my, I don't know how in the world, I, I, I had a, a, a quiver full of arrows that I hadn't turned the knocks right on. So while I'm trying to get my knock squared away, one walks out of my shooting lane, and another one comes in. I, I knew another one was coming, so I got that arrow switched around, and as it got in the right spot, I went, stopped it and shot it. So... But if I, I'm going to find the bedding habitat every single time, and that's where I'm going to start, then I'm going to start looking. If I'm on public land and there's no crops in the mix, I'm going to start looking for acorns. And I want to find chestnut oaks. I want to find white oaks. And the third preference for me is red oaks. So, so why specifically? Because I've noticed you, you do talk a lot about um, finding white oaks as the first source and then the southern chestnut oaks as the second source. Why are those specifically? What have you seen with deer that those are the that's, ones they target? That's, that's their preference. Mm -hmm. Those are those are the magnets. They'll go out of their way. I live in a state where, where you can bait, mm -hmm. and deer won't even touch corn if they can find white oak acorns or chestnut, really? or chestnut oak acorns. They're no, it's a waste of time. I've seen it literally germinate, sprout. 
seen it get rained on and germinate. Okay, so because they're they prefer they love white oak acorns. And years ago, I, I killed a deer my first day in the woods, my second day in the woods, actually. Eleven years later, I killed my second one. Eleven years of trying. Mm-hmm. And one year, toward, right, uh, toward probably year nine or ten, somewhere in there, I was scouting on the opening day, before the opening day of gun season. And I bumped into this guy. And I'm up in Pisgah Forest, which is closer to you guys than where I'm at now, but up in the mountains in Pisgah Forest. And this guy's got his stand on his back and... It's Sunday afternoon, and obviously it looks to me like he knows something. He, he knows something I don't, you know, because I'm stumbling around trying to figure out what's going on. And I got him to talk to me. Now, he grunted at me, and he probably wasn't happy because I was in his honey hole, I guess. But And he told me, he said, uh, I asked him if he had any advice. He said, find some white oak acorns. Well, that was great advice. It would have been even greater if I knew what a white oak looked like. <laughs> so, so I made a little mental note. Note to self, learn what a white oak is. Okay, I'm actually so, doing that right now. <laughs> white oaks are their preference, literally, and they're easy to find. They're easy to identify. Southern chestnut oaks are right there with them. And the red oaks, from what I'm not a biologist, but I've been told that they've got a lot of tannic acid in them. They prefer to let them sit on the ground. Maybe some of that tannic acid leach out before they'll eat them. But they'll go straight to those white oak acorns, and, and, and that's what they're going to eat. Well, how do you feel about but, some of the other, other food sources, mus- um, muscadines and, and apricots and, and the, the little bit more fruity sources? You know, Where do those fall into place here? Well, they're going to... They're more difficult to hunt in my place because muscadines are, if you can find them, they're going to come to them. I'll tell you a funny story about muscadines. Uh, there's a state park in South Carolina called Croft State Park. It's a public place that you can apply to hunt in, and it's a bow hunt. And I applied and got drawn one year, and I went with my <clears throat> my normal attitude, find some bedding cover, find some the the food source nearby, the funnels that lead you to that, set up in those spots. Well... We got there with 45 minutes of daylight left, me and two other guys. And my other two friends, they went and hung stands in 45 minutes. Literally, it's, there's 45 minutes of daylight left. Well, I couldn't find anything. I, I felt good about hunting with a bow in 45 minutes. So they asked me what I, if I hung a stand. I said, no. And they said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to put my stand on my back and put my window, the wind in my face. I won't slip around until I see something I like. Well, I slipped around, and I bumped some deer in one spot, and I didn't see, you know, it was, it was good to see the deer, but I didn't see any reason to, to set up right there in particular. So I couldn't find any contrast. It was nothing but big, mature woods, hardwoods, mostly hardwoods, some mixed pines. But I just couldn't find anything thick. And I had access to a lot of ground. I walked for over, I walked for an hour and a half. And I finally said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put this G- this pack down because it's heavy. I'm going to mark this with my GPS. And remind me to talk about GPS real quick when we get done here, guys, if you will. Absolutely. I'm going to mark this with my GPS so I can come back to it, and I'm going to slip around with the wind in my face and see if I can get on a deer. Well, an hour later, I walked within 15 yards of a deer, bedded deer, and I shot it and, and harvested the deer. Well, coming that afternoon I, I was going in and i decided that since i hadn't found any contrast i was just gonna keep hunting with wind in my face well i saw deer in the same spot that i'd seen the first deer that first morning that did that did rest. i'm I, you know maybe i'm too bright but i should have tried to figure out why but i did and i said ah oh, it's just a fluke you know so 
The next morning, I walked past the same spot, and there's deer in the same spot, and they, they run off again. I said, all right, there's a reason there's deer there. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, me being the rocket scientist that I am three times now, I'm going to walk over and say, well, there was muscadines and hulls all over the place, okay? Uh-oh. I said, okay, I, now I know why they're here. Well, to be honest with you, I had walked for two days solid, and I was tired, and I didn't want to hang a stand. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to set this. I'm going to, set, I'm going to just sit on the ground right here that afternoon. And I went and scratched me out a spot on the ground and sat right on the ground. And I wasn't there for 15 minutes till the ants started eating me up. They were everywhere. So I said, I got to move. So I got up and I literally moved to the right 10 yards. Well, 30 minutes later, there was a doe and a little dink. Her little, her little fawn came in. And the dink gave me a shot. I didn't want to shoot the dink. But that doe came and went and put her nose right where I had just been sitting. Literally, where I'd raked out my spot. She's 10 yards from me. I'm on the ground. She don't know I'm in the world. Well, when she did that, I happened to be looking at the dink, and the dink had noticed me by this time, and I said, all right, the gig's up. Well, she started and ran, but my point is, is that was the only time I've ever really had a, a reason to hunt muscadines. Around here, they're here, and if you can find them and you know deer are coming to them, and here's how you'll know. They eat them just like we do. They put them in their mouth and spit out the, eat the pulp and spit out the hull. so if you find that then then i would try to get as on on the side that's closest to what you know is the bedding area Mm -hmm. and that's a good place to hunt there you that's usually going to be a short-lived hunt but i'm telling you when there's acorns that's a staple you can count on it that's that's great great information i mean we we have followers we don't have a massive group but you know we want to be able to reference all of the interviews we do to be able to give give our followers and listeners, you know, an insight to uh, on how to hunt different scenarios. And, and acorns is being in the south. Acorns is a is a huge tactical advantage when you can find them and when you know what you're looking for. Well, I will say this: you'll hear a lot of times when people say, "There's so many acorns this year." That I'm having a hard time hunting. Well, what you've got to do is you've got to find the ones that are easy to get to. Mm-hmm. You've got to find the ones that I've got a place that I hunt on public land. It actually is in the backyard of one of my customers. I'm, I'm a landscaper, and I used, to, I, I used to hunt in their yard when they lived there. Well, I was following up a deer that I'd shot, and it led me onto the game lands. And while I got there, I found an amazing funnel. I looked up, and I said, oh, this is amazing. I said, I need to hunt this. Well, the first time I hunted, I shot two does, and I literally, my longest shot was five yards, and they were coming out of the bedding area down on the creek bottom and had to come up this steep, this, this up the creek bottom and then turn and come up a steep bluff, and there was a little shelf in there, and that's what they were just wearing that shelf up to get to the acorns on top of the hill. Now, my point being there is that's one of those places that you hunt when there's a lot of acorns. You hunt a funnel that's going to get them to that spot hmm. and funnels are funnels that's another podcast yeah, that's a whole other that's one. a that's a big big topic <laughs> so yeah. you know well, you talk uh, yeah in, in in that same video finding bedding area you know finding how they're traveling to the food source whether it's food crops or it's acorns and, and the thing you said was the biggest tactical advantage and something you you thought was the, the most important thing was wind you know, why is it wind? You know, there's so much on the market right now for, for scent control, whether it's your clothing or the sprays or what mm-hmm. you're washing or deodorant or gum. I mean, I've seen, I've seen gum 
and yeah. that's just blows my mind. It's people are buying it, but yep. there's toothpaste too. There is yep. there's toothpaste. There's a little bit of everything. You said that you don't wear any of that. You don't use any of that. You purely rely on putting the putting the wind in your face in between you and the deer, and and stalking that way. Why and and what do you do with that? I'll tell you why. I am so thankful. I remember we used to have a thing here called the Dixie Deer Classic. Still do. Mm-hmm. And I could not wait for that thing to happen. It happens in the first part of March because I, I, I wanted to go. Well, the only thing we had outside of hunting season was hunting periodicals and a show like the Dixie Deer Classic to kind of give me an outdoor fix. I wanted to be around, around it somehow, if you understand what I'm saying. Absolutely. Well, now with the Internet, I don't have that. We don't have that issue. So, And I'm very thankful for the Internet. I'm very thankful for the Outdoor Channel, the Sportsman Channel, all the other channels. I only get those two that I mentioned, though. And I'm, I'm real thankful for them. But they are literally loaded with marketing. Mm-hmm. The, in my opinion, the best tree stands, the, the hottest selling tree stands are not necessarily the best tree stands. Okay? The hottest selling, the, 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 the hottest selling bows are not necessarily the best bows. They're the best marketed bows. Mm-hmm. And a whole lot of what you see on scent stuff is a lot of marketing. Okay. Now, I'm not saying I would never, ever, 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 ever try to get somebody to think like I do about scent control in the wind. But I will tell you this little story. When a, when a good friend of mine who had never killed a deer with a bow and I were going bow hunting about the second week of bow season one time, we are going to hunt on some public ground and we pulled up to the spot that I was taking him to and he said, where's your scent control suit? I said, I don't have one. He said, oh, you got to have a scent control suit. I said, no, I don't. And he, he almost got in my face. He said, Money, you got to have a scent control suit. And I said, I said, no, I don't. I said, I know the wind's going to be blowing out of the north where we're headed, and that's exactly what we need. It's blowing pretty steady, 8 to 10 miles an hour. And I said, we're going to be downwind of those deer when they come to us. And he said, I said, I ain't going to need a scent control suit. And he still was adamant about it. And I finally said, I said, I said, well, do me a favor. I said, stick your finger in your ear and try to get some of that wax out for me. And I mocked what I was telling him to do, stuck my finger, and I said, come on, put it in there. Get some of that wax out. And he worked in there real hard, and after I let him work in there pretty good, I said, all right, pull your finger out. And I said, now smell it. He put it up to his nose and went and said, oh, my gosh. I said, what would you say control suit do for that? <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't have to say another word. All right, well, we went to the woods. I set up 40 yards from him and watched him, t- watched him take his first shot at a deer 10 yards from him. Now, the reason I I think that the wind is is you got to you got to hunt the wind because I've spent a lot of time in the woods. If somebody tells me that something works a certain way or or doesn't work a certain way, I got a filter by, based on experience that will tell me there's a possibility of that being true or it's probably bunk. Because I've got some experience, okay? Now, my point here is that I've tried, I've done the scent control thing. I've actually had a scent control suit. I've done the deodorants. I've done the wash your clothes a certain way. But then I hunt so much that there's days that I get off work after running an aerator all day long. I look and smell like nobody loves me, and I ain't got time to take a bath and get anywhere to where I have a chance to get in there before they do. And I go on and go to the woods, and I've, I literally had to, one particular time I had this happen. I went and sat on the ground, and I had a deer come out and stay in front of me for over 15 minutes. And the last time he was that I saw him, he was three steps from me. And I've been working all day and, sm- and sm- looked and smelled like nobody loved me. 
that actually brings up a, like I've seen and heard on other podcasts people talking about that they once they get out of the stand they immediately stick their clothes in plastic buckets or something to come completely seal that uh, outdoor smell so they don't contain it and they sometimes they've even said that they would bring that in all the way in if they go into like a long distance they put in a plastic bag just so that they don't contain some sort of human scent but to me in my experience, I've had times where I forgot and I woke up completely forgot that I didn't wash my clothes. I didn't have time to take a shower. I didn't have my deodorant. I put the clothes on that happened to be out in my bedroom and my wife would be spraying her perfume around. And I went out and sure enough, I still saw deer coming in probably 15, 20 yards away. Mm-hmm. But it kind of baffles that there's obviously, I guess it comes into that point of maybe I was lucky that the wind wasn't going into their direction, but it made me think sometimes that Maybe there's something more to it than just the scent control. There's got to be something. Well, the the scent control can minimize the scent enough that you might make them think if they're used to smelling human scent anyway, like in a, a suburban area, then you might trick them into thinking that you're farther away than you really are. I can buy that. That's That sounds reasonable to me. But if the wind is blowing from them to me, that's that's what I want. Now, a lot of people will tell you, here's, here's what most people, most to be honest with you, I, I really believe that the average hunter just it's it takes work you got mm-hmm. to it, it's mental exercise to think you here's what happens a guy decides on tuesday that on saturday he can hunt and he's going to hunt this honey hole now he needs a north wind for that honey hole and that's really the only wind he needs any north northeast north or northwest would work and he's decided that's where he wants to he's going to hunt and he's excited about hunting that spot well, he wakes up on Saturday morning, the wind's blowing out of the southwest, but he don't care because he hadn't, he don't have a plan B. Mm-hmm. He's going to his honey hole. I've caught myself doing that a few times. <laughs> well, he, he gets snorted at, Yeah. okay, and that's not fun, okay? So my point is is that, that you, a person needs to have as many stands as they can possibly have, and he needs to let the wind, the wind always dictates where I'm hunting. It always dictates where I'm hunting. I'll tell you this, if you're going to bow hunt, if you see light and variable, go hunt a stand you don't care about. Because that's a, the weatherman's way of saying that the wind's going to be swirling. So you if, can't predict. if you see what? If you see a forecast that says the winds are light and variable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't, go, pick up a rifle that day. Hunt a, hunt a, a bean field, okay? Mm-hmm. So but basically, if, you, if the weather did come in and you were in the spot, if it happened to shift, would you pretty much think, well, my day's done or go find another location? Or um, No, I can't control that, and I've decided the same thing. i got to just I got to just stay here and, and, and wait I'm it not out. wait it out. I was hunting in a rural, in a, and literally in a backyard of a customer's one time, and, a, and we were supposed to have a northeast wind. It actually switched to southwest, and the deer kept coming up close to me and turning around and walking out. I said, well, I got to do something. And I had some vanilla extract with me because I use vanilla extract when I'm videoing to get them to stop in certain places. Mm-hmm. And I literally poured that whole bottle of vanilla extract on me. <laughs> I said, I got to do something. Well, I shot a really nice eight pointer that evening. <laughs> shot or petted as it was licking your ear? <laughs> no, I shot it. I shot it. These deer, they, they won't come to people. They, they're, they're, you still have to hunt them. Okay. But you're right. They are, they are suburban deer. The wind, no, I can't, I can't let the fact that the wind shift a little bit. I just have to say, all right, I hope the wind's not blowing like that when the deer comes my way. Well, going into that, talking about suburban deer, um, <laughs> you know, because public land can be anything from a large WMA or a, a large farm field that uh, is a community 
or it goes all the way down to the suburban deer, you know, behind apartment complexes in, in a city behind someone's house. How do those deer different from those WMA deer that are on large pieces of property? Do you hunt them differently or do you look for different things? No, I pretty much look for the same things. I let the people that see them tell me what they're seeing. Okay. Because <laughs> they're the best scouts I got. Okay. You were saying something, uh, said a lot about the stands that you use. And I think you said that you were using a long wolf. Is that correct? Yes. Have you mm-hmm. by chance ever heard of, it's been around for quite some time, uh, but it's it's called the tree saddle? Yeah, I've got one. Uh, you do? <laughs> nice. Uh, nice. Okay. <laughs> Scott and I actually uh, know the, the developers and they've done, a, I think, an incredible job. In fact, ever since I started using that, that's been my only tree stand. And, but you said that you have them, but you still prefer to use the long wolf. I mean, is there any time I, I, that you use one or the other? Well, I video my hunts and it's kind of hard to do with, if, if, and when I say I've got one, you're talking about a, a, it actually, you just sit in it. Yes, sir. Take it up the street, up the tree. And you basically, you're hanging on the side of the tree with rest your feet on two little pegs on each side of the tree. Is that correct? That's yes, correct. Sir. Okay. I've got one and I was thinking about using it. I never, honestly, I've never used it. Okay. But I did buy one years ago. But since when I started videoing, you know, it's, it's a totally different setup. And I, because I want to use that tree saddle with my canoe, because I don't want to carry all that stand and stuff in a canoe and then try to get a deer out too. The tree saddle was something I was going to try to do, but I got to figure out how to video and, and, well, and do that too. What are you using for, because that's, that's one thing that, um, that I have experimented with. Um, mm-hmm. And that's totally outside of topic, but. You know, what are you using for your video equipment? Uh, with your tree arm, is it a three swing or is it only a two swing? It's two. It's the same one I bought from Mike McKenzie years ago. Okay. And okay. I've had it. I've had it since. Oh my gosh, I've had it since '98, I think '98 or '99. Mm-hmm. '99. Uh, actually, if you look through those videos, I've got a video on how to video your own hunts, and I've got several oh, hunts yeah. on there that I film myself or video mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. And and I, there's a lot of people out there trying to video their hunts, but but you could tell they're trying to video their hunts if you understand what I'm saying. Absolutely. Well, I'm trying to make well, it where you can't tell. And, and you do you do a great job with it. I mean, I've I've, I've spent some time watching some of those videos, and mm-hmm. uh, with the saddle, there's some really cool things you can do filming your own hunt because you're off of the tree, and the tree is essentially you can always put it between you and the deer. Mm-hmm. When you mount, you kind of learn by by being out there how to mount the camera so you can swing it. I use, um, or I used at the time, a three swing arm, so it mm-hmm. basically folds three times. Mm-hmm. I mean, at any point in time, I can do a single twist in in the same motion that I'm doing my draw and moving around the tree. It it allows for filming actually very effectively and very easily. Well, you've inspired it, me. It, I'm gonna it, I'm gonna pull to, that thing yeah. out and give it a try because. There's some places that I probably wouldn't hunt because I, I wasn't sure I'd be able to video because of the oh, you know man. taking I, the canoe. It is, and it 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 becomes kind of a it, it does take a little bit of time because you have to get comfortable with where you normally like to sit at in the in the saddle, whether you like standing a little taller or like sitting down and mm-hmm. then coming away from the tree to draw. But mm-hmm. you kind of fill your comfort zone of where you like that camera mounted. And it, uh-huh. the thing I love about it is it just, at any point in time, you can conceal 90% of your movement 
from the deer because you can at any point get behind the tree and put that tree be- between you and that deer. That, that's that's, cool. that's why I like it so much. That's cool. That's really cool. I would recommend, though, if you decide – you haven't actually used it before, right? No, I have not. I would think if you decide that you were going to try to do this, to take it out a couple of days beforehand, hang it into a tree, really feel the motion, uh, get used to it because – at least people I've known that's maybe the very first time they ever got in the tree with the tree saddle, they felt uncomfortable because they didn't really quite understand how to maneuver with this. But after they got the hang of it, they loved it. It's just that first time it usually takes a moment to like, oh, I can do this, I can do that. Maybe I shouldn't uh, be wiggling this way. Or, man, it just, yeah, I would recommend at least open it up, try it out a few times, get comfortable with it before you take it out into the woods. Oh, that's, that's, that, that's good advice. Let me say something about a GPS before we... I don't oh, know yeah, how much definitely. Okay. Yeah, just about to go there. Okay. Uh, I have hunted in a lot of places. I hunted down in Florida. Mm-hmm. And Florida is one of them places that can be intimidating because it is so thick and swampy. And you get turned around down there and, and some of that land is so vast. A lot of people don't realize that there's no humans. Uh, from 30 miles inland in Florida, there's, there's, there's more alligators than humans. And... Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of undeveloped ground there, so it can really be intimidating. So years ago, I bought three GPSs before I finally decided to learn how to use one. I gave the first two away, and shortly thereafter went and bought another one. And I kept asking myself, why am I buying this? And I said, you know, I'm going to learn how to use this one, and I did. And let me tell you something. It opens up a whole new world to you because now you can go to a place like that you still got to use good woodsmanship. You still need to know where north, south, east, and west is. You need to pay attention to the, you know, what time of day is and know, you know, the sun and all that kind of stuff. You need to know how to get around without it if you had to. But it really makes it possible for you to go to an unfamiliar piece of ground and hunt it like it's not unfamiliar to you. Mm-hmm. It's really amazing. It's an amazing tool, and I, I think everybody should have one. Is there? You, go ahead. Yeah, but do you use those? Um, on all of your public land. Oh yeah. So when you go when you go set a stand or you have your area, are you plotting those areas so you can get into them in the dark, or are you using it just uh, just for scouting purposes? No, I use them to get into the into the spots, and I also use them if I use my boat. I'll mark my boat when I get on shore. Uh, I use it when I'm scouting so I can know you know what kind of wind I'm going to need. Because if you don't know, you know, which direction anything lays from where you're at, you don't know which direction you would need the wind to blow. So I, I use it for that. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you one other way I use it, and I don't hear too many people talking about this, but I'm telling you, this this is this is probably one of the best tips I'm gonna share. Uh, on mine, there's a set of solunar tables. Oh yeah. And solunar tables are amazing. Okay, I'm telling you, they work. They're, they're, I don't know why they work. Don't ask me. I'm not a scientist. I don't have to know why they work. I just need to know how to use them. And they predict major activity periods during the day. And and, and I've, I've been hunting them now for 15 years. I mean, I've literally been hunting them meticulously for 15 years. I'm, I have to make myself go hunt if there's not a major activity period. That's how... Now in the rut, that's a different. That's a totally different thing. There's a there's a different dynamic ha- happening there that the solitaire tables don't matter. But the way the solitaire tables will have an impact during the rut is, is the does are still gonna, they're still gonna. I, I, I really believe with every fiber in me that deer are gonna move during those major activity periods. And if they're moving, 
they're eating. You ever seen a deer that was standing up that wasn't eating, that wasn't in the rut? Very rarely. Okay, there you go. So if they're moving, if they're moving, if they're in an activity period, they're feeding or going to feed. Mm-hmm. So all I do is I try to get where they're going to feed. So what type of like what brand are you using specifically? I'm using a Garmin. Garmin, okay. A little Garmin. I've had it for ten or twelve years. Mm-hmm. And when I bought it, it was ten dollars more to get one with Sawyer tables. So I bought the ones with Sawyer tables. <laughs> Technology has changed quite a bit. I'm sure it has. I'd probably be embarrassed. No, nah, if it works, it works. If- yeah, there you go. Man. Well, I could seriously, like, just this conversation has, has spurred so many questions that just I know I have personally. You know, I, I would love to have you on again and, and go over some more stuff, you know, and dive deep into um, some more topics on, on the techniques and, and kind of why you do and, and how you've learned some of those. Okay. Um, I'd be flattered to ask me again if, if, if anybody's, you know, any, any of your listeners would like to look me up on YouTube, it's How to Hunt with a Two in the Center. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's several videos on there that I feel are empowering. There's more coming. Uh, I plan on, t- me and my boys are going to do a, we're going to do a web series this fall. And my intent is to, uh, I want to edify good kids and uh, let them talk about their mentor and let the mentor talk about what they did to have good kids. So. That's awesome. That is, yeah. And we would, uh, we will definitely push you. I mean, it's, it's been a pleasure talking with you and and we're very grateful that you you came on with us. You know, it's thanks for having me anytime. guys. definitely our pleasure for you. All right. I look forward to hearing from you. Do you feel like you got all the questions you wanted? Oh, hell no. No, I got a million questions. I want to go into that with that. (laughs) Like there's, there, there is so many things. I'm like, Ooh, we, so I'd write a note down. I'm like, Oh, we, Oh, uh, yeah, I completely. Fr- I, I wanted to go into the GPS, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, there was just no good segment to even bring in because he had so many other things he was talking about. I was like, "Ooh, that's really good. That's really good." <laughs> I mean, that guy's so freaking knowledgeable. And, and and the cool thing, and I think where I really where where his whole story hunting fast resonates with me is, you know, he shot a deer his first time out and didn't shoot something for eleven years. And it almost went with me because when I started hunting, it was I was 12, and I never got a deer until I was, I think it was 21. Did you shoot, uh, well, I'm trying to think, how long before me and you met did you shoot your first deer? A few months. Like, it was that season. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, because you're, how old are you? What are you, 32? 31. 31. That's nuts, dude. So, it's, it's seriously, it's been, it's been 10 years. It's literally been 10 years since we met. Yeah. That's nuts. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the same thing, you know. I went into it, and we, I mean, we hunted hard. We legitimately hunted that that first two seasons. We legitimately hunted two days a week, if not more. Yeah, I mean, religiously, it, 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 it was literally every Saturday, pr- pretty much every Saturday, Saturday and Sunday. I think it was, was, it was Wednesday and yes, uh, yes, that's what it was. Yeah. When, like Wednesday and Saturdays, meet meet at Mall of Georgia, jump in, and let's go. <laughs> oh man, I another solid podcast another guest that came on has incredible knowledge money man i i'm so glad we brought him on if you want to find out more you can always go back and i encourage you to go check out www.mybowrush.com forward slash zero zero three to check out all the information through our show notes yeah and, and you know what so this is just such a small clip it you guys just get the podcast you know we spent an hour and 45 minutes talking to Monty 
and he has so much information, so many stories that you know there was no way we were going to be able to pile that all into to one podcast. We wanted this to be specifically about you know his view on hunting public land in in the southeast. There is you know ten other topics that that we dove into. So those those are all going to be on audio files on the actual website. Uh, you know, go there, listen to those. He's he's a great storyteller. He has a ton of information. And he's just so entertaining to listen to. So make sure you check out the rest of our conversation on our website. It's mybowrush.com. Well, Scott, you know, this was our third podcast, and I can't wait to see what we're going to be doing for this, uh, the fourth one. How about you? You know what? There's, there's a lot of people that we've been talking to. We have some really cool people lined up. Um, it, it's going to be probably another another week before we come out the next one. But please, uh, you know, tune in, keep checking the website, keep checking Facebook, check Twitter. We're on all of those and, and we're excited to be able to start this and really get into it and bring you guys information that I, that I know a, a lot of you guys are looking for. One thing that will really help us is if you guys go to www.myboatrush.com forward slash iTunes, you know, if you can give us a five star rating, leave us a comment, let us know how we're doing. We want to make sure that we're bringing you guys information that you guys want to know, and we're bringing the guests on that are able to do that. You know, let us know anything you think about the show, what you want to hear, what you want to know, and, and that's what we're here for. We're here to help you guys out, help you guys become better and more successful hunters. I'm Scott Nelson. I'm Travis Doe. And we don't have a catchphrase yet, so go get a bow rush. It's opening week. Yeah, still horrible. <laughs> we don't have a catchphrase yet. It's a work in progress. Like my deer season. <laughs> <laughs>